Is that involving Hampus Lindholm? Hi, I'm Sam Blazer, joined by Cam Lewis. Uh, this is Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. Cam, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Good, good, good. Hampus Lindholm and the Anaheim Ducks are somehow $250,000 away on a deal, and they can't reach it. I want to ask you this question, Cam. Uh, how idiotic is that? <laughs> like, oh, on no. a scale of 1 to 10. It's To me, it seems like out of this world. It's... Uh... It's 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 like just completely reasonable to leave like one of the better young defensemen in the NHL just waiting around in purgatory over that like insubstantial amount of money. Totally reasonable. Like a great way to run your franchise. That's that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, last episode I talked about how I thought they're going to be a bottom five team, and like with this thinking, I kind of th- I, I believe they deserve it. <laughs> uh, I think the reason that uh, it's hilarious that you know they're two hundred and fifty grand. I mean that seems like a I don't know, like an obscene amount of money to us, but to them it's pocket change that they're willing to just like let this happen over that amount of money is the fact they signed a player like Antoine Vermette to a $1.75 million contract this summer. Well, even th- taking into consideration that they signed Jared Bull to a two-year $900,000 contract. Yeah, man, they're, they're, they're paying Mason Raymond six hundred seventy-five grand too. Just like loads and loads of garbage contracts just all over the place. And I mean... I tweeted this on the NHL numbers count today, and it, it got some pretty good um, traction. But they're paying a combined $7.25 million for Kevin BX and Clayton Stoner. Ouch. Uh, but, you know, you do get the valuable uh, tweet where you can put uh, Stoner and Bull together. There's a lot of combinations there, and I think if you know you know what you're doing on social media, that's, uh, that's a goldmine in and with of itself. Literally, literally the, the only way in 2016 would it be worthwhile to have Clayton Stoner on your roster is if you made his jersey number 420. That is true. <laughs> I wonder if they'd ever go that high. You know like how everyone's like, yo, oh my gosh, he's, he's thinking about taking the number 69. Or, you know, obviously that's the big joke in Goon, the, the, the movie. But, like, what if someone was just like, you know what, I want to break outside the rules and, you know, go, go outside the box and do something like that. I, want, I encourage that. I think we should start going to triple digits on numbers. What do you think? Do you no, think that's I, something I, that I we totally should? agree. I mean, I don't see why not. It, I think, like, the transition to triple digit numbers would mark, like, a generational change in the sport. Because, I mean, there was times um, in, like, the early, like, early mid-1900s, like, the war era where players were only allowed to have, like, you know, numbers 2 through 19 and the goalies had to wear 1 in 30. And then it switched up and you had players wearing, like, 74 and 58 and just, like, stupid shit like they wear now. But it would be sick when, like, the first player can rock, like, 111 or, you know, in what would be Clayton Stoner's case, 420. Or, you know, like, as a sign of solidarity, you could actually put the New Jersey Devils... Uh, every single team, I mean, every single player there could uh, actually wear six six six, and they could, you know, start doing some pagan rituals, and that's when you know that like the devils are really, really on track when they start, you know, sacrificing animals to uh, a being that they don't know about. I think that's what where we're heading is uh, New Jersey Devils, oh, uh, devil, devil worshiping in uh, triple digit numbers. Hockey isn't about the ice, the scoring, the puck. It's about you know, like worship of like religious figures. That's that's what the NHL should be moving towards. Or also, like if you're like a super big like fan of the band Three Eleven, you could just like you know have that be your number too. That's you know that's something that you could consider. You ever, with your last name, did you ever rock four twenty growing up? Or I never rocked it, but you know, of course, 
you know, going to college, everyone's like, oh, man, that's awesome. And you, like, you look at the guy wearing like, the hemp sweater and you like give him a thumbs up and like nod because otherwise you don't know what the heck's going on. You're just kind of like, all right, I'm trying to get out of this conversation as quickly as possible. Can we please move speaking on? Of, uh, speaking of blazer, I went to a music festival when I was 20 and uh, somebody was wearing a Portland Trail Blazers jersey and the back said legalize it and the number was 420. I thought that was so funny. Well, that's, that's the thing too is that I really liked the Portland Trailblazers when I was growing up, and then I First and then thing. like yeah, I mean naturally if I would also not, like a team with my last name. Yeah, exactly. If they <laughs> if it's like the, the like yeah, exactly. If, yeah, if it was like the Houston Lewises, you'd be like, all right, that's cool. Like the that. Las Vegas team. Yeah, the uh, Las Vegas like Wizards. And that may that may need to be a petition that we uh, we put out there. But getting back on track, talking about Lindholm, because uh, that's what we were talking about, right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember ex- yes, what exactly we were uh, chatting totally about. Hijacked the conversation with my, uh, with with sliding in how to make fun of your last name. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. I don't, I don't mind. You know, you can take those pot shots. This is this is part of like Cam and I getting to know each other better on this podcast. Is him, you know, taking me down, and soon enough I'll be taking him down. So that's so socializing that's, with millennials one one. Yeah, exactly. Socialize via Skype and put out podcasts. That's uh, I don't think it gets any more millennial than that. Uh, I I just going back to Lindholm because we're going to talk about that. I, I swear to God, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I think they're just being dumb at this point. And, you know, yeah, no, they're we, just... we we made we made fun of like the whole Jimmy Murphy thing about how he said that he heard that people were being tra- like talking about him being traded, and uh, Travis Yost said something about him. Um, you know, uh, you know, Bob Murray says that is not like a thing that's going to happen, but I could totally see it like a trade like being made here if this is how petty it's getting at this point. Right. Yeah, honestly, I, I I'm, I'm not. I, obviously, you guys clearly know that I'm not an insider with the Anaheim Ducks or anything sitting from my bedroom in Edmonton. But like it almost seems at this point like it's almost just a principal thing for the organization. Like we all know that they operate on an internal budget. And it almost seems like with the like dearth of young players they have, they want to make sure they all know, like, look, we have a number that we're going to be OK with. And you are signing to that number. We're not going we're not going to like give in to demands, which is which to me just seems asinine looking at the, you know, the contracts they've handed out willy nilly to like very forgettable players over free agency. And they are such an odd organization overall. I don't know exactly what they're doing. And they're I feel like they're almost falling apart. Uh, at the seams, like you know, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff are obviously the people that hold it together. But I, I, I'm st- this is obviously like playing really, really well into my uh, bottom five in the league bet. I don't even think we have a yeah, bet. I feel like what what, what, what feel should like what should be, we bet here? Should, I think we should we should have a bet between the two of us of what we should do uh, if Anaheim does make it in the bottom five or if they don't. I'm I'm giving it to you right now to think of something that we could uh, make okay. a better on this. If Anaheim, if Anaheim finishes bottom five of the NHL, you can tweet whatever you want from the NHL numbers Twitter account. Ooh, this this is this is pretty good. And then what what should we do on the other end? I'll I'll let you pick. Uh jeez, I don't I don't know. What what do you, what do you want, Cam? Like season tickets to the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> Yeah, as as you laugh, and you know what, I, if I had like like four hundred dollars laying around, maybe we could uh, end up doing that. <laughs> you had like that, that you was had a really that was a really yeah, I was gonna say that, that was a really rude pot shot at them. I don't know, I don't know why I did that. I, I like them a lot. Uh, moving on past Lindholm, though, a uh, couple other noteworthy uh, items of the day. 
Bo Bennett probably had the saddest tweets, like tweet series yeah. in the world today, where uh, first tweet was talking about plagiarism and then him talking about, uh, I really don't feel like I should be on the cup because I didn't do anything. Uh, <laughs> like, that's absurd. It's pretty, pretty fucking sad, but I mean, I, 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 I quite appreciate that self-awareness. What what I'm waiting for is you know friend of the podcast uh, Mike Fail to put like those tweets, um, like you know moving like scrolling up slowly and then like Arms of the Angel by uh, like Sarah McLaughlin in the background. It's and it's like donate five cents a day to uh, <laughs> to his uh, to the Bo Bennett Fund and uh, hopefully you can put a smile back on his face. That is totally how that like that came off. Uh, you know, I all I really hope for him as a player is that he can stay healthy because when he's on the ice, he's not a bad little player. But the the problem is, is the guy is more or less made out of like popsicle sticks. Yeah. Do you, do you have any like, uh, Bo Bennett insight? Do you have any uh, opinions on the guy, or are you just you know feeling uh, bad for him? Kind of going along with what he said. It's like yeah, like <laughs> he pretty much summed up his situation pretty perfectly. Like he played one game in the playoffs last year and was a minus two played 11 minutes and had two shots one giveaway and that was his uh <laughs> that was his contribution to the team but i don't know man like maybe they uh there's there's dumber names in the stanley cup than that right like you know how they put everybody on that played like more than what is it like 10 15 games during the season for a team even if you were traded yeah, i believe that's it, it didn't play a lick in the playoffs like there's a lot of just weird ass names on there so whatever man just let it be like i'd understand Never saying, yo, look, I'm a Stanley Cup champion. You never, you, you, you aren't. You kind of are, but you aren't. But like, I don't know. I don't think you need to feel ashamed that your name is on that thing because there's a lot of other weird names too. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't think there's really anything to be upset about on his name. Like, also, how much do we want to feel bad for a uh, professional athlete getting paid a bunch of money <laughs> to play a sport? How the, there's a line there. Uh, I'm 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 not feeling too bad for him. Obviously, no. it's obviously it stinks, and you know uh, the way that his career is going is not ideal by any means. But I just I'm not I'm not feeling too bad for him now. Someone I kind of am feeling bad for is uh, Malcolm Subban. Yeah, uh, his second NHL start, not good. Not at all. <laughs> He's yeah, been middling in the AHL too. So is what, what do you think of him? What do you think of his start? Is there anything they're going to be able to do? Boston Bruins are just in like a hideous situation right now. They put Tuka Rask on the injured reserve today, which I think was retroactive to a few days earlier, to join their other goalie, Anton Kudobins, on the DL as well. Or DL, that's a baseball term. The injured reserve as well. So now they have Malcolm Subban and Zane McIntyre, who I think have faced a grand total of, what, like 29 shots in their career together. So, I mean, that's a pretty ugly thing for Boston to be having right now. I'm not really sure how you go about navigating through that situation but i mean if there's ever a chance for someone who used to be like a relevant prospect to prove themselves i mean malcolm suban's career save percentage in the nhl right now is 727 that's brutal maybe maybe what he can do is if he gets another jersey he can put that on the back of it he, he'll be like he'll be part of the you know starting that trend do you like that 727 and each time he, like, he rises up he can just uh like up the rankings he can just change his number again yeah honestly if if he continues to play like this, then it's, I don't know. No one's going to say he's a non-prospect at this point because he's, you know, 23. But I don't know. I don't know if there's anything there. It seemed like kind of a bizarre draft pick at the time. I remember people on Twitter were going off about, oh, Boston only drafted him because uh, they wanted to, you know, fuck with Montreal because P.K. Subban was there at the time. And that was before the organization hated him, I think. 
So I don't know. It just seemed like it was doomed from day one. That's just goalies in the first round, though. Like, I mean, I think it was two days ago that Zach Fucali got sent down to the ECHL. I was just about to say, they're both on the same World Junior team, if memory serves. Yeah. Like, go and look at all those Canadian goalies from the World Junior teams, and so many of them are just so bad. Like, Justin Pogge was phenomenal in the World Juniors, and then just a nothing career. Um, That's what happens. You just never hear from them ever again. The hype on those guys are just out of this world, and it's obviously due to the, uh, like, you know, Canadian media putting some hype behind them. Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, like, the American goalies are kind of going through inconspicuous, and they're able to do what they like, can do. And they're, you know, you have the Corey Schneiders of the world, the Ben Bishops, and they're, like, like absolutely the killing Jack it. The Campbells but, of the world. You know, oh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. I, no, he was, but he was, like, very similar to the path of, like, you know, uh, uh, of Ukali or, like, you know, Apogee. So, I I don't know. That's There could be something to it, to, like, putting pressure on yourself. I think it's just like I, I don't know. I don't want to make too many generalizations about goaltending because I'll have, you know, like six Twitter users showing at my showing up at my doorstep with like knives to like kill me for it. But I mean it seems like uh like goaltending at um that age is so volatile. Like you can have like a, a good goalie, maybe a, a kid who's big, a kid who's athletic, or just plays on a team that's good and their numbers seem so sick. It's almost like scouting for goalies is so bad that you just draft a goalie on a good team, and I feel like that happens way more often than it should. Oh, totally. I, there's the like someone who I was talking to actually used to be a part of the Blue Jackets organization. What they said is that a lot of times the strategy that's like some people want to employ, unless the person's like can't miss, is that you just take one a year in the late rounds, and they have like some like pretty good numbers, and you just let them percolate, and you just let them do whatever the hell they do, like either overseas. Or, you know, let them yeah. have like three, four years in, um, you know, college and like just draft one a year and like, in like the sixth, seventh round. And then just like you have to be OK with it. Just the other, don't the expect tough, anything immediately. The tough, thing about, the tough thing about developing goalies is you only really have like four spots in North America. I don't know. Do you even consider the ECHL spots? I feel like. No, there's, like, very, there's very few teams that utilize that league. Hard. Like even you draft a goalie every year, like where are they going? Like. I mean, from my perspective with watching the Oilers, like, they would draft a goalie in the third round one year, and two years later, they're not even in the organization. And it's just, they're gone. And it's, yeah, I think it was it was Kent Wilson that wrote a piece for, I think it was NHL members or a Flames Nation cross post, but he basically did an argument as to why it's not prudent or worthwhile to draft goalies ever. And he's, his main reason was that you don't have enough uh, developmental roster spots at any level, and that you're just like the likelihood of grabbing a free agent goalie from the NCAA or Europe, the likelihood of developing one is as high as just grabbing one. And I, I mean, I don't disagree considering when you look back in the past decade, how many goalies have been drafted, especially the top 60 ones for second rounds. Like the, the number of ones that bust versus the ones that don't is just, you know, like it's not even comparable. Like so many goalies flop and it's not close. And it almost seems like even the highly drafted ones just, I mean, like Marc-Andre Fleury, Roberto Luongo, like, yeah, really good. But, I mean, there's better goalies in the league that have, you didn't have to use that high of a pick on, that's for sure. Oh, totally. Like, with, without a doubt. And you see it time and time again. Uh, and actually, interestingly enough, uh, uh, one of the uh, more interesting goaltending controversies in the past 10 years or so was with Vancouver. And we'll be right back in just a moment with uh, Canucks Army Managing Editor J.D. Burke. See you back in a second. We are back, and we are now joined by managing editor of Canucks Army, J.D. Burke. J.D., how are you doing today? I'm doing swell. How about yourself? 
you know, I can't complain. I know Cam is kind of, you know, a terrible guy, so he's probably doing horribly right now. Is that right, Cam? Absolutely. <laughs> so Life let's talk. Bad. Let's talk a little bit about the Canucks and their start thus far. You know, it hasn't been as bad as uh, people have been saying. A lot of people were thinking that they're going to have a bottom five finish in the league. Uh, what do you think about the start thus far? And um, do you think there's going to be a, a soon to be a fall off, or is this going to be something that's uh, even at the small sample size they'll be able to grow from? Well, it's kind of been a, a best of start, worst of start scenario for the Canucks. They, they started the year off by going four and zero and. Um, they actually, they, they played relatively well in that span. It's, it's not just that they were getting lucky in a small sample. They were actually performing well over that sample as well. Uh, they actually had a few comeback victories over Calgary, Carolina, and, uh, if memory serves, they also came back against the Buffalo Sabres. Sorry, just at the tail end of a cold there. So, They've been playing well. They made some changes to how they approach the neutral zone, particularly in terms of how they defend their own blue line. And it's really been fascinating to watch. Now, as soon as they stop feasting on minnows, like some of the teams have already highlighted and went down to uh, California, which, you know, interestingly enough, always serves as a reality call for the Canucks. Um, Reality check, that is. They got uh, they just got dismantled by the Kings, and you know they wound up coming back in that game to take it to overtime. But uh, they did not look the part of their equal, and in Anaheim it was it was much worse than that. And then they uh, they actually dropped another game uh, last night to the Ottawa Senators, their first loss at home. So you know they look great in their first four games, and and maybe a little bit less so in the the past three. And they're actually starting to lose bodies already. They got Alexander. Uh, Burrow's out, Derek Dorsett, Anton Rodin's out with injury. Uh, but perhaps most concerning of all to Canucks fans is that Chris Tanev is out for a while. And uh, if if the reports from Canucks Army contributor Jeff Patterson are true, and he is in a walking boot, and we have every reason to believe him, that would be devastating to the Canucks uh, playoff hopes. So do you think this team is a... I mean, a lot of outlets... I think it was the the main one that people were talking about was ESPN. I mean, I don't know. Let's pretend for a moment to give a (laughs) flying fuck what ESPN has to say about hockey, but (laughs) um, had the Canucks finishing 30th this year. Do you think that's that's actually going to be a thing? Are they actually that bad? I think that people, uh, you know, this year, much like last year, and and I still stand by this despite their finish in, in 28th last year, people have gone a little bit far with just how bad the Canucks are. I mean, you're still talking about a team that's going to have an above-average first line. They're going to have an above-average first pair. And barring something unforeseen, they're going to have above-average net mining. If you combine those three factors, there's no way you can be a you know, a 65-point team like USA Today predicted. Or Right, that's who it was. You know, I knew there was somebody that was predicting they were going to win like 22 games or something just absurd like that. I mean, yeah, it, that, that's it, historically bad. It's impossible to think that a team with the Sedins and, you know, pretty solid goaltending could be that bad. There's no way. No, and, and, and I've maintained that from the beginning. Now, I, I don't necessarily think the Canucks are a playoff team. What I've always said is that this is a team that, under the right circumstances, if they get enough breaks, can compete for a playoff spot. And by that same token, they're one long-term injury away from being a 30-place team. You know, I think the variability when you look at where the Canucks can finish this season is probably 
among the largest largest ranges in the league just because of that. So, you know, will they get the playoffs? Very doubtful. Will they be picking Nolan Patrick? Doubtful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I guess I guess moving beyond that, where do you um where do you view the what are the Canucks doing long term because I know um I think it was a Canucks Army has had a sentiment where they believe the Canucks should rebuild, and I know that your your commenting core is quite against that. So, I guess share some thoughts on what we, how you feel about this organization moving forward. Well, they're not going to rebuild, um, yeah. and it's kind of funny because it's kind of flavored our analysis to an extent where uh, you know a lot of people are eager to conduct analysis according to what they envision as the best long-term goal for their team that they're covering, right? You, you, you come up with ideas and then roster moves and scenarios. Yeah, that you roster baiting. That, it's hard not to roster do Roster baiting. Yes. I, I forgot this is an unfiltered boss. <laughs> you roster bait, right? And, and the Canucks, because they've been so uh, anti-rebuild have kind of thrown everybody off. Um, you know, their message seems to change from day to day. And so it's really hard to make sense of what exactly they are doing long term. I think uh, one of our contributors, Pet Bugs, uh, got a, an email from the Canucks. They're trying to get, uh, they're trying to get season ticket renewals or, or, or ticket sales or whatever, something along those lines, right? And, you know, I think uh, they had a picture of Jim Benning. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to find it right now, and it says, to develop our next core, we are accelerating the development of our young players. Well, and, nice. and, and then a sentence later, it goes, there are no shortcuts. And it's it's delightful because that just kind of sums up this team. It's like, we're not only going to have our cake, we're going to eat it too. And it's going to be a fucking DQ Blizzard cake, you know? Because <laughs> that, was, that was where they were at, um, at the trade deadline last year. I mean, they were just like... There's no way they're making the playoffs, and they were, you know, visibly bad. And they just didn't bother trading Radim Verbata. They didn't trade Dan Hamuse. And I mean, the the Flames traded Chris Russell, who's just like objectively trash, for like like a pretty nice package. And the Canucks just couldn't be bothered to do so. And I like why? Well, okay, it's the Canucks for all their folly. They they tried to move Dan Hamuse. They're they're just uh, they're inept. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> simply put, they approached, they waited far too long to ask Ham Hughes to waive his no trade clause. Far too long. Uh, they had a package together with the Blackhawks, which was the exact same one the Jets received for Andrew oh, wow. Ladd. It was basically Marco Dano in a first. And they kind of pittered and pattered. And from what I can gather from uh, some of my contacts, Stan Bowman is a very no nonsense general manager. And, um, the Canucks sat on the fence or, you know, tried to get more out of the package. And, and Stan Bowman, just uh, from what I can gather, became very frustrated and withdrew his offer immediately. Um, and then they did a similar thing in Dallas where they, they approached the Stars and they actually asked for a better package than what the, the, the Flames ended up getting for Russell. They tried to get a, um, a second-round pick, Brett Ritchie, and uh, Matthias Bachman, uh, that was the package they were going for. And once the Stars acquiesced and said, yes, that's, that's perfectly reasonable, they, they turned the second into a conditional first, and they turned uh, Brett Ritchie into Valerian Nichushkin, and the Stars laughed and offered a third. So, 
believe it or not, like it's hard to reconcile with what they say and what they actually did try to move Dan Hamuse, and I think with with the Radom Verbata one, they, the best they could get was a fifth, and they they wanted to set a precedent that they wouldn't be pushed around, so they just kept him. No, that's fair. I mean, trading Radim Verbata for a fifth round pick when like you know Teddy Purcell's getting a third, that's just ugly. But I mean, I, I'm also kind of confused. It seemed like the sentiment behind um, keeping Dan Hamus is like, oh, like, you know, we have a young team, uh, this and that, and we want to re- remain loyal to players. So I guess, did they make much of an effort to re-sign him this summer, or what went on there? Mm, from what I can gather, not really. I mean, the thing is, the Stars got Hamus for under four. Yeah, they, uh, they, did, they didn't pay much for him at all. No. I mean, that's a nice help. If you just added Hamus's contract to what the Canucks are currently carrying... Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty close to their cap ceiling. So, uh, and and you have to imagine Hamus would have signed for less to stay in his hometown. Absolutely. So, uh, the, what that tells me is that the Canucks didn't really have a keen interest in keeping Hamus, and I think that was kind of reflected in some of the articles that we kind of um, siphoned through the season. You you brought this up a little bit uh, earlier about how you know they're saying one thing, doing another. But and of course, you know, to the general media, and of course, being a Blue Jackets fan on my end, you I hear it a whole lot about like you know GMs being incompetent or not knowing what they're doing. Is you know is Jim Benning as incompetent as people say he is, or is he just an easy uh, punching bag for uh, the media and you know fans alike? Uh, well, to be frank with you, I think the answer is uh, both. Um, you know, I don't think Jim Benning is a particularly strong speaker. If that makes sense, he, he doesn't convey some of his thoughts as well as I'm sure he would like to. Yeah, the communication and, thing is pretty noticeable. Like, I think that's where a lot of like opposing fans in the league, it's so easy to poke fun when he comes out and just contradicts himself in a press conference. Oh, yeah. it's it's And really, you know, it could just be an anxiety thing. Do you know what I mean? It could be something where he's not really well equipped, uh, well equipped, sorry, to handle uh, media conversations, or it's just something that's never really been a part of his his package as a person. And once he gets put in that spot, um, it really undersells his ability to to think and construct and execute a plan. So you know, I think he probably gets a bit of a rough ride, and I would I would say that I'm certainly guilty uh, as anyone in in that sense. Um, I struggle with the notion of me flat out saying in plain language that he's incompetent. What I would suggest about Jim Benning, though, is that he's a guy who uh, has advanced beyond his skill set. And what I mean by that is the Canucks don't operate as a as a, um, a management team per se, so much as they are a uh, a scout team. You know, a lot of their moves are made from a purely scouting standpoint. Uh, you know, the constant sacrifice of, of ceiling for certainty. Uh, these are moves you, you'd expect from somebody with a, you know, who's still working towards being a scout. And that sounds, yeah, that sounds actually a lot like that would make sense because they were together with Peter Chiarelli in Boston with that group. Yep. And I know that Peter Chiarelli has been ostracized heavily for just this tunnel vision thing where he picks a player that he wants that fits into his mold and he will do anything like trading Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. I mean, he's like, I need a top pairing right-handed defenseman and I'll give you literally anything just like an obsession. Well, (laughs) you know what? They could have had Tanev for Taylor Hall. I'm sure. Uh, Yeah. 
if, if we want to be frank, and I, I mean, Peter Shirelli is a strong, confident speaker, right? If you want to look at their body of work as a whole, um, you know, while we're on this, this discussion about bending his strengths, the perception, um, it's hard to objectively look at the two and suggest that uh, Shirelli's understudy has done the worst job. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's look at the, the litany of young players Shirelli has given up on. Yeah, I, I remember um, like when... Mueller, again. It's actually incredible because um, people talk about the Larson thing and they're like, oh, well, look at the, you know, look at the going rate to acquire a first pairing defenseman. But then you kind of respond with, well, look at how many players of, you know, Taylor Hall's draft pedigree and, you know, production that have actually ever been traded. And, you know, there's two of them and it's Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan and it was the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's an indefensible trade and, you know what? You can kind of see inklings of that working its way into Benning's thought process as well. Like you can kind of tell he's from that management tree, in the sense that, like you said, they get tunnel vision. And I think you saw that a little bit with the Brandon Sutter trade, where they're secure value there, yeah, even commensurate with the product that they got back. Um, but what they did do is they filled a need. They had a fit that Brandon Sutter could could you know match up with and and it was as simple as that it's we we have a need for a defensive center uh somebody who can replace brad richardson in the short and long term i know it sounds silly that you'd go out <laughs> someone that could place. replace brad richardson that's a well, sentence I'm, i don't think i'd ever hear anybody say no and i'm being totally genuine here i mean a lot of people thought of it as sutter for benino and and realistically and this is something that thomas Drance pointed out and i think reese jessup did too um, the more accurate player that was replaced that summer in that trade was was Brad Richardson, you know, because he's not going to produce offense like a, a Nick Benino type, but he fit, he filled a need, you know. What what I'm beginning to notice overall with a lot of the front offices, at least with like Boston and seeing the people over there and where they're moving on and how they're constructing teams, is overall it actually does take a lot of luck. It's it's interesting when you see because like uh, Dean Lombardi is making comments in regard to the Kings and how you know this is how he uh, views it and he uh, it seems like he's almost fallen into like an analytical gold mine there now also talking about analytical gold mines you know the Florida Panthers are made up of a whole lot of former uh, Canucks Army uh, writers and editors kind of switching gears there a bit what's it like being a managing editor of Canucks Army and uh, is there anyone that you know that has like a countdown clock waiting until you get hired by someone <laughs> um, and maybe Thomas Trans, maybe Jeff Blood the, the, the two guys who would have to replace me um, <laughs> maybe they're keeping tabs uh, you know what um, you always want to put your best foot forward but frankly uh you know what, Reese Jessup, Cam Lawrence, Josh Weisbach, these are guys who are just so far ahead of, of, of myself and, and so much uh, of the public sphere that it's not surprising to see them them get hired. And, and, you know, I can't say enough good things about all three of them, and I wish them nothing but the best. Um, <laughs> am I the next Florida Panthers employee? I, I doubt it. Um, <laughs> but it's it's been neat to run Canucks Army and sort of, you know, uh, the, the cachet that comes along with it. I, I, I'm always kind of humbled by the experience and, you know, very much um, aware of the fact that it, it's a great place to be and it, uh, it does wonders for your profile. On the other end of uh, the Canucks Army thing, the commenting 
the comments you 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 get directed at you are they're sharp. Those are oh, like those are aggressive. Yeah, they just like kick the shit out of you on a day to day basis. Yeah. Like, I mean, holy crap! Like, that's a that that's a. Is there a question there, Cam? I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm trying to turn this <laughs> into a question. You, your thoughts. <laughs> I'm trying to turn this into a question. I'm like, how on earth do you deal with that? Because I mean, like, I've never had comments that come close to like the ones that you get. Well, it's it's funny you should say this, and it's a question that comes up a lot, not just in the blogosphere, but like I'll have friends who are just like, Jesus, dude, these guys, they what the hell? Like, you know, they wish death upon you, and I'm like, eh, such is life. You my know, favorite, I, my favorite is that one guy on Twitter who just keeps getting at you, saying like, what would happen if you met up with me and you know who in an alleyway? And oh yeah, just, yeah, him and Good Brands are gonna <laughs> kick in my door. Um. You know what? I've always been like, and and here's something that, uh, you know, some of our nation uh, peers can attest to. I've always been a bit of a pest, you know, Um, even playing hockey. I wore number 40. I had the smile and people said I looked like Max Lapierre. Um, (laughs) I've always been, you know, this is a podcast where we can swear and I'm grateful for that right now because, uh, frankly, I am a shit disturber. So my whole life has been spent... um, either pissing people off or, <laughs> or, or, um, you know, being hated accordingly and especially in the hockey world. So, you know, I, I often joke with some of my writers, I'm like, what are you guys complaining about? These co- comments are great. Um, which is to say that I've, I've sort of got Stockholm syndrome. T- talking about those commenters though, you know, they seem to be the vocal mi- uh, minority there because, Canucks army keeps growing. Canucks army keeps getting bigger. Like, what is? Do you think that people are there to you know? Just they see that you guys are getting more popular, and they just want to jump onto something when they believe it's wrong. Or do you think there's actually people there that are trying to you know learn more and see what you guys are doing overall? Um, I think it's it's a really complex issue, and and one of the reasons I I don't take offense or I don't take it personally when somebody tells me uh, they're going to kick in my door and, and beat the shit out of me. Is, is because uh, like you have to look at it this way. What is hockey about? What is supporting a team about? Uh, it's about enjoyment. You want to get into your team, and and fandom is you know it's uh, lots of shit talking. Well, yeah, but it's it's a subsidiary of, of being a fanatic, right? Totally. So of course they don't want to hear their team is bad. Of course they don't want to hear their team is poorly managed, and I think it frustrates them sometimes because they have this notion that. Uh, as a blog, we are a fan entity, and that's not really the case. People at Canucks Army have moved on to media jobs. They've moved on to, to front office jobs. And so we're trying to maintain a level of objectivity that perhaps doesn't align with how they view the website when, when they first, you know, come onto our, uh, come into our, you know, platform. Yeah, so, I, think it, I think it becomes pretty clear I guess, I mean, like, I'm not going to pretend like I know Canucks fans all that well, but it becomes pretty clear looking at your guys' comment base why the Canucks aren't really interested in going into a rebuild because it's it's pretty clear that these people, like, badly want the team to be good. And I mean, I mean, obviously, every fan wants every fan wants their team to be good. Nobody wants their team to go through a rebuild. Like, I went through that with the Oilers. It's fucking terrible. But, like, they just, like, I mean, I feel like your your fan base would rather latch on to, like, an eighth-place team for like the next three years than actually have the window of being a contender in 2021? Uh, yes and no. I think, I think you're really casual fans maybe, but I think uh, some of the people 
um, that are interested to the point where they're willing to come to a blog. It's not so much that they're defending the team's direction. It's that they're defending the team. So I think in, in a lot of these instances, if the Canucks were to go into a rebuild, say next week or, or even a month from now, I think a lot of these guys would turn heel and go, oh, you know what? Hey, what are you guys complaining about? Look, the team's doing this. Look at all these smart decisions. You know, uh, at the end of the day, I think it's more people supporting their team than supporting their team's philosophy. And if this team underwent a rebuild, there would be people singing Benning's praise for it, right? It's just everybody wants to get behind their team. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, before we get to a couple of goofy questions, uh, JD, I want to ask you, though, like coming down like the pike, who is there, like, you know, to be excited about for the Canucks and others, uh, well? you know, we're still here. What's going on, Cam? <laughs> it's all Cam. good. I know Cam. Cam apparently's got lost here, but we'll, we'll continue on. Um, yeah. What do you, What do you think overall about uh, the future? Like, uh, obviously, there's some players there that can make an impact. Is there anyone in particular that you're uh, keeping an eye on this far? Uh, it's It's kind of it's difficult. The Canucks prospect pool, you know, it's. The problem with trying to compete and trying to rebuild at the same time is that you're going to fall short on both ends. And that's really been the case for the Canucks, and especially when you look at their prospect pool. Uh, the crown jewel, depending who you ask, it's either Brock Besser or Ole Uolevi. I mean, th- those are two fine prospects, excellent prospects. The problem with having crown, uh, Brock Besser as your crown jewel is that every team has a Brock Besser in their prospect pool, and maybe three-quarters of them work out. Right. Um, same goes for you, Levy. So, you know, I have a certain level of excitement for them individually, like outside of the context of what it means for the team, that these are their two best prospects. But when you look at it realistically, neither of these guys are really uh, built to move the needle for the franchise uh, four or five, six years down the road. Um, I think you can kind of hold out some level of hope for you, Levy, to develop into that top pairing defenseman. Um but, you know, Brock Besser may be a first-line forward, perhaps not an overly prolific one. Um, i got a couple mid-level prospects, too, that I've, I've taken a keen liking to. Dimitri Zhukanov really jumps off the page at me with his uh, understated game. I think he's got a game that's made for the pros. Um, you know, didn't have the greatest first year in the CHL, but he's a guy I keep an eye on. And there's Jordan Subban, of course, though he's on his way out. Um so not a lot, you know, I, I'd be remiss of my job if I didn't mention uh, Thatcher Demko too, but like I said, no real, uh, <clears throat> no real earth-shifting prospects. But there are, there are some people there, though, that can get some people excited if they end up panning out. They're, you know, not going to be, you know, these, like, uber-dynamic, like, electric players that, you know, say that, like, the Leafs seem to be, like, falling into, like, crazy. But there, I feel like there's people there that they, they, they can, you know, latch onto, right? Oh yeah, totally. I think like you can get behind a Brock Besser. Uh, you know, like he reminds me a lot of Patrick Sharp, right? You know, he's got mm-hmm. like a, a rounded out defensive game, great shot, sees the ice really well. Um, Elo Levy, just such an understated game. Um, you know, I, I struggle with comparisons for him. The one you often get is Nick Lidstrom, but that's absurd. Um, so like, yeah, you can get excited about these prospects. Like I said, if you, if you view them in a, in a vacuum. Yeah. Those top five player comparisons are oftentimes absurd. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, no, you, 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 unfair. 
Yeah, I, I obviously being a Blue Jackets fan and writing about them, uh, you know, I, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, Pierre Luc Dubois, he's going to be the next uh, uh, Jamie Ben." And I'm like, um, "Sure, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, let's just get, put that on the guy right now." You know, as he's already been like, you know, he jumped over Jesse Puyarvi. Like, you y- you can't do that immediately. But can- he can't he can't be the next Jamie Ben if uh, if he wasn't drafted in like the sixth round either. That's part of the allure of Jamie Ben. Is the Jamie fact that Ben was, wasn't Jamie Ben until he was Jamie Ben. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the allure of Jamie Ben is the fact that everyone could have drafted him not once, not twice, but like five times. Fun and fact: no- uh, Blue Jackets trade away the pick to Dallas that uh, selected Jamie Ben. So that's just that's just a little you know knife in the heart uh, for me. You know what? Getting back to the Dubois thing, <clears throat> Blue Jackets might have killed the Canucks rebuild inadvertently because. <clears throat> Sorry. The most glaring need for the Canucks right now is is to find somebody who can kind of carry the torch from the Sedins. That guy isn't Horvat. He's not Marcus Granlin, and he sure as hell isn't uh, Brandon Sutter. But in Pierre-Luc Dubois, they had a hope. I mean, that's a guy who can develop into a first-line center. And every indication was that the Canucks were going to have their shot at Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I can guarantee you, based on the people I spoke to, that's who they were taking fifth overall were he available and you know i think columbus taking pierre-luc dubois might just have been the death knell of the canucks rebuild because you know they need to inject that first line ceiling center into the system they've had to do it for years and that was their guy and i think he's a guy who has that kind of ceiling and it just took all the wind out of their sails it was just another kick on uh, on the canucks after a year full of them so what happens with the Sedins then? I mean, they've got both two years left on their, or a year and a half now, I guess, left on their deals as they become free agents July 2018. And I feel like this is going to become a pretty important narrative uh, heading into this upcoming summer. Like, what what are the Canucks going to do? Well, I think the Sedins have kind of, like, a, a lot of what the Canucks do is justified in the sense that it aligns closely with the timing of the Sedin twins' extensions back when they signed them. You know, you got two players eating up $14 million. They're They're going to be relatively strong first-line players, and you owe it to them to give them a shot. That was kind of the thinking, and that's what got the Canucks to this miserable point. Um, so what are the Canucks going to do? I think there's no appetite from the Sedins or the Canucks to see this the two-part. Um, and, and, you know, I, I know f- the city isn't really willing to, to stomach that either. Speaking personally, you know, whether it's better for the franchise or not, it would kill me to see the Sedins in another jersey. Yeah, that so, would be weird. Oh, it, it would just... Also, who even, has the, who even has the cash to sign the both of them? Uh, How's that going to work? Because you're not just signing one guy, you're dedicated to signing two guys. There's no way they're splitting up. They'll go back to Sweden before they do that. Yeah, I mean, maybe Arizona once, you know, Datsuk's deal is out. I mean, they'll have all the space in the world, but uh, that's the thing, right? You might be able to get them at the end of their contract at the deadline. That might be the one time it makes sense because you prorate their hits. Um, you know, Canucks eat salary kind of thing, but realistically, I think that uh, there's a much greater chance that you see them play out their careers as Canucks and they put something together next off season. The one caveat I would add to that, though, is that losing can really, really ruin a relationship. And the Sedin twins don't have a Stanley Cup. And they're in their late 30s. And I'll be damned if they don't deserve to retire with one. So you kind of wonder if that thought's going to creep in at some point. 
Yeah, you'd think that um, you'd think that um, though I mentioned it would cost a pretty penny to sign the both of them, you'd think that after all the cash they've made, that um, they'd be willing to sign for less to play together somewhere good. But it's just it's such an impossible thing to predict because I mean we all thought that like Steven Stamkos was gone for sure. Like oh yeah, it's no way it's ending in Tampa Bay, and then lo and behold, he's back. And I mean, I just, I don't know, I, I, I really can't see the Sedins not playing in Vancouver, but I just also can't see them winning there, and it just seems like this hideous situation where nobody wins. Yeah, who was it that predicted Stamkos to the Leafs? Oh, jeez. Who was that? Somebody in the Nations Network. Oh, jeez, can't remember who. Total certainty. Yeah, I remember that. Um, do, they also, <laughs> do they also own a, a, a Roberto Luongo Leafs jersey? Is that who it was? Yeah, yeah, no, that's starting to ring a bell. Starting to ring a bell. I can't remember the name though. Just, I have no idea. Yeah, no, he's a real fuckboy. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the Sedin twins. I mean, the thing is, they've been taking discounts their entire career, right? I mean, you, you brought up the possibility of a discount when the Canucks were in their heyday. The Sedins were making six million a piece. Um, <laughs> these are guys who were who were producing at like at their peak somewhere around three. Like a hall of, they're producing like a Hall of Fame level. Oh, it was insane. So, you know, I, I think they're they're very selfless people. Very selfless people. So I don't think they're going to take the Canucks to the cleaners. But, you know, I, I don't know if, how much of a discount they'll be willing to give, even, even for a contender, because they've been doing that their whole careers. Yeah, that, and that's completely understandable. Now, we're kind of wrapping up here. We have two questions that we ask everybody. Um uh, the question that I'm going to ask you, uh, if you know, if Canucks Army was on an island, you're in a survivor type scenario. Uh, who who would you vote off the island? Have we have you already like you know made a little mention towards him already, or is there someone else in mind? <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask because we got a running joke in Canucks Army Slack where where young Matt Henderson gets fired like no matter what, at least once a day. It's like if somebody screws up something or somebody says hello to me while I'm in a bad mood, I, you know, I send Matt a message to let him know he's fired. Um, but in this particular instance, who am I voting off? Fucking Jeffler. Like, <laughs> what, why is he on his, our Slack more than I am? It's, it's absurd. What, well, what he's are you on doing? the NHL numbers Slack now and he never says anything. He's just observing. He's, he's, he's you know, no, taking he, it all in. He's he's fucking he's Randall from Recess, man. He's just waiting for us to slip, and then and then, and then Thomas Drance is going to get an email. And, so you're saying that Thomas Drance is Miss Finster? Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> this is like Finster it's gotten ten been... times more interesting. So who are you then, like Spinelli? Uh TJ. I guess TJ makes a sen- makes sense because the uh, the two letter name thing. Was TJ the bulkier one? No, TJ's the the fucking kid, the the main character. Main Mikey character. was the the big one. Okay, well, you know what? I could live with Mikey right now just because I haven't hit the gym in a while, and I went to LA. Oh my god, the food there! You know, you're eating like 14 tacos a day. I'm kind oh, of yeah, feeling yeah. more of a Mikey vibe for myself right now. <clears throat> I don't I don't know how we transition from who we'd vote off of a Survivor esque island to comparing the Canucks army staff to uh, recess members, but. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not really complaining about it thus far. Now, Cam, I know you got the last question. Right. Who would win in a fight, Bob McKenzie or Elliot Friedman? Um, okay, so <clears throat> for me this one's really easy, and I can't believe somebody would ask this. Uh vegans are weak humans. <laughs> Ooh. Fighting and, words. No, no, I I'm I'm obviously just joking, but um unless Jeff was vegan, then they suck. 
Um, but no, Elliot Friedman is a vegan, so I, I feel like if Bob McKenzie gives him a stern look, it's going to break something. Um, <laughs> not to mention, you just don't mess with the Godfather. It's not a fight you win. Like, let's say Friedman puts McKenzie out for the count. He's going into witness protection. That's true. You don't mess with them, but but interestingly enough, like the people that we've had, ECHL if that happens. That's true. The people we've had on this far, everyone has selected, uh, you know, Bob McKenzie as the winner. And I, I for whatever reason, I've got well, they have families, England. man. They have, is, I feel like if if are you if Elliot, speak out against the Bob father, if Elliot Friedman's ever going to take over and become like the guy in hockey media, he's going to have to kill Bob McKenzie. Now this is like a murder mystery. This is like going to be like a TV show that's going to like be this, this like has airing. potential for some kind of like fan fiction. I'm not going to be the one that writes it. That's uh, sure as heck's not going to be me. But uh, you know, JD, we uh, we appreciate you coming on, talking about uh, Bob McKenzie, Elia Friedman fights, the Canucks, um, Jeffler, whole whole shooting match. Uh, anything you want to plug before we uh, let you go? Well, uh, like I was saying earlier, we just launched the, the Canucks Army podcast. Uh, we actually have Sadiar Shah on there. He's, he's a local guy from uh, TSN 1040. So it's, you know, we got seasoned veteran and, and then me. And uh, <laughs> we're really looking to, to get that going, going to make it a weekly thing. So if you check out Canucks Army, uh, have a quick look for that. It's, it's, it's got some spicy hot takes. Um, and you know what? Just keep visiting Canucks Army. It's going to be a miserable year, and and uh, you can watch people unravel and, and take it out on me. It's fun. You know, there's worse things out there. Well, uh, JD, we uh, appreciate you for coming on, buddy. Anytime. That was one hell of a conversation that we just had with uh, JD Burke there from the Canucks Army Managing Editor. Uh, Cam, I'm sorry that we hung you out to dry there when you uh, were talking about uh uh, Bob McKenzie possibly being killed there. Yeah, no, don't worry. I just like I very much so <laughs> immediately regretted saying it because that's a real fucking weird thing to say. <laughs> so don't worry about not attaching yourself to that comment because that was <laughs> fucking stupid. <laughs> I obviously it was being said in jest. We're all moving around, but we both were like that. Uh, when JD said he's not someone to be trifled with, he was not kidding. And I think we may need to retire that question because I don't think there's anybody that's going to select Elliot Friedman. No, I think I think we need to come up with a different one. Maybe Darren Dreger against I Elliot. Friedman. Who would win in a fight? It's J.D. Burke or Eric Goodbranson, and that's the relevant one because <laughs> based on the way the coverage has gone this season and the way the fans are feeling, uh, Mr. Goodbranson's going to be showing up at J.D.'s apartment. He's going to be to kicking the crap out of words. Him. Yikes. Well, uh, you know, we appreciate everyone for listening. Um, what we're going to start doing is either on Monday or Wednesday – we will uh, be doing a mailbag-type segment answering your questions. If you want us to answer your questions, don't submit them via Twitter. Leave um, a review on our podcast there. Review it however you want, one to five stars. Obviously, we prefer the five stars, and um, we'll read them on the show in real yes. time because they also, go down in chronological order. If you're order. having experiencing technical difficulties with the podcast, please send us an email explaining what the difficulties are so that we can deal with it because – Exactly. And I believe it's watchthegamepodcast at gmail.com in case you do have any of those type of questions. Um, but other than that, you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow Cam at Coom. Uh, anything else before we go? Yeah, three O's there. Anything else before we go? No, I'm good. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone listening. Um, until next time. Mm, bye. Bye.